Resurrection Sunday, um, such a great, great time to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, we wouldn't really have our faith today as we know it. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. Our faith is solidified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, there's times in our uh, faith, and I think that there's times in our thinking and sometimes our heart position where we have this idea of thinking we understand the resurrection of Christ, but we really don't know that we know that we know. And sometimes there's that fluidity between thinking and knowing. I remember when my two oldest kids, they're twins, when they were really young and they were about to do something really uh, disobedient. And I would say, um, Giovanni, that's my son's name, good Irish name. <laughs> Giovanni, if you do that, there's gonna be a consequence. And he would go and look back. Have you guys seen this with your kids? They look back, especially three, three-year-olds. Now, people say two-year-olds are tough, and they can be, but three-year-olds push boundaries. They wanna know what they can get away with. And I'll say, Giovanni, don't do it. If you do it, there's gonna be a consequence. And then he inches closer. He loved to just mess with the TV, push buttons. and Giovanni, if you do that, it's gonna be consequences. And he would inch, and finally he would just do it. Smack the TV or whatever he wanted to do. And I said, Giovanni, I'm sorry, but because you did that, you're gonna have some time out and maybe a little pat on the hiney, on the bum. And he got, no, I don't want that. I don't wanna, you know, dread in his face. See, before, when I was telling him, he thought I was serious about me talking to him and that consequence, but after that, he knew I was serious. It's a difference between thinking and knowing. And I think that it's important that we continually convince ourselves and remind ourselves and experience the resurrection of Christ. Actually, I, I preached uh, this message last night uh, at our Saturday night service, which we have at six o'clock every Saturday night. Little plug there. And then this morning I saw one of our very own missionaries, uh, R.K. Castilla. He actually had a verse that he mentioned. I thought, man, this is so good for my message, so I'm gonna steal it, even though it's in the Bible, so it's everyone's, but. Second <laughs> Timothy 3.14 says, it's Paul writing to Timothy, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Continue to be convinced. Now for today, I would like to read why we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and read its context before we get into the actual message because I think it's important that we actually read what happened. Matthew 28, one through 10 is Matthew's account. It says, now after the Sabbath, 
Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That must have been wild. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, I always, I have a crazy mind and I'm just picturing this. And the, for some reason, every time I read it, I always think of fainting goats. <laughs> if you have no idea what these are, please look them up later, okay? Look them up, Google fainting goats. It's very wholesome and funny. And basically, there is a breed of goat that when it gets startled, when it gets excited, when it gets scared, it takes two steps, freezes up, and falls over. It's the cutest, funniest thing. And for some reason, I just imagine these Roman soldiers who are tough as nails, who've probably seen some crazy things in their battles and have done some crazy things themselves. When they see this amazing sight, they become like these fainting goats, trembling, stiffen up, and falling over. Yet the strong woman, who was probably trembling herself, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and looked hold and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Wow. What an amazing, awesome miracle that changed the whole paradigm of our world and the disciples' minds. They just, it just shook them to the very core because this meant that everything that Jesus was prophesying about and everything that was prophesied about him in the Old Testament has actually come true. And all the things that they didn't get before had all of a sudden started to make sense. And you'll see that as, as you read the scriptures that they'll start pulling verses from the Old Testament and they start pulling things that Jesus had said that prophesied of his resurrection. It's amazing. But I always kind of like look at the spiritual formations of the disciples and, and, and how, how they had developed and how they, their thinking um, not only just got rocked, but it changed the whole paradigm. You see, just before the crucifixion, Jesus prophesied something else. In Matthew 26, Verse 31 through 34, he says this. He says, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I feel like Jesus would have looked at Peter and said, Did you not real, do you not know what all means? <laughs> but no, no, Peter was too zealous. Peter was too passionate. Peter knew himself. He knew his loyalties. He knew how strong of a person he was. And so he told 
Jesus, you know, telling Jesus, I think is just so funny. I, I used to do that. Sometimes I still get caught doing that. Like, oh, Jesus, this is gonna happen. It's like, mm-hmm, okay. It's like my little ch children telling me what's gonna happen. Peter has this funny relationship with Jesus in a sense, you know, it's uh, beforehand Jesus had asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they gave all different types of responses. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of God. And Jesus said to him, uh, you don't even know this by your own revelation. This was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Peter must have thought he was such a big deal that Jesus would have told him that. Like, did you hear that, fellas? You were just throwing out all these names, but I was the first one to say who you really are, who he really is. But then a few verses later, Jesus is talking about his death and destruction, and Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. He says, Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. Again, Peter telling Jesus what's gonna happen. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You know, in one moment, Peter is in the perfect will of God. In another moment, he's representing Satan's words and not God's words. In one moment, he's representing what the Holy Spirit's saying. In another moment, he's actually representing a lie. And he's telling it. See, just because you're in one moment doesn't mean you're not capable of another moment. It's the reality of life. It's the reality of going through this. Have you ever... How many of you have ever told the Lord in some area or weakness of your life that you would never do it again? Whatever it is, you would never do it again. But, wait, wait, wait. But you have done it again. Just raise your hand. Great, just like the death rate, 100%. Good, okay. Yeah, I've been there. I mean, I've been there even to my physical body. I'd be like, God, I will never eat Taco Bell again. I promise, I promise, just help me. Help me, Jesus. You know, that's, they made the original taco for sure. Um, just kidding. But how short our memory is, especially with God. And sometimes I think in the sanctification journey of God, I'll never do it again. We try to prove our worth and our loyalty to him out of our own strength, thinking that we can actually accomplish the sanctification when really it's Jesus through the Holy Spirit that accomplishes the sanctification through us. You know, I'm not gonna be all roses for you today. I'm actually gonna be a little vulnerable. You know, when I first got radically saved uh, as an adult, I, uh, I was saved in a bar. I was in a bar, I lost my family, I was in a really bad place. I was, it, was such, it was so dark in my life, I couldn't see past my own hand. And, uh, and, and someone came to the bar who knew Jesus and prophesied over my life, changed my whole, whole life in the bar. You know, there's people who will never come to church, but you're, you who know Jesus can go and get them and show, share with them the love of Jesus. And thank God that this man did for me, prophesied into my life, and that's where I met Jesus and, and swore to follow him and uh, fell in love with him. But my sanctification was still being worked out. And, I, and sometimes I would uh, just go and hang out with some friends at work, and all of a sudden, there I am, overindulging, sinning, drunk. And in my stupidity, in my stupid drunkenness, I'm, I love Jesus, so I'm telling people about Jesus. 
Not a very good example. But I remember waking up or, or the next day going, oh God, I'll never do it again. I promise I won't get drunk again. I'm so sorry. See, I don't want to look at Peter today so that we can make fun of Peter. I want to look at Peter today that, so that I believe that Peter is someone that we can relate to. We see ourselves in Peter. We see our own mistakes in Peter. We see our own redemption in Peter. Let's go, let's go, let's continue. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. This is right before Jesus' crucifixion. He gets tried and they start to beat him and they start to mock him. And Peter is following behind at a distance. And it says in 69 that he was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with the Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. That's like the, that, that word oath is just like you would think, like, like he would have placed his hand on the Bible, said, I swear, I do not know the man. I do not. I was not with him. I mean, this is one of Jesus's main disciples, one of the top three, right? The closest to Jesus who swore his life to him just earlier that day is now denying him. Not just passive denial, not through omission, but actively denying Jesus. Because remember, Jesus had said, I don't know if I finished that verse, but uh, and, uh, before he said, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So now he's, he's up to that denial. Let's continue. In 73, it says, after a little while, by, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Now, you have to understand, you know, some people think, well, how is that possible? Well, listen, we, we live in America, and in America, you go from state to state, some cities to cities, and accents can be so uh, revealing of where they're from. Like, uh, if you're from the Bronx, people know you're from the Bronx. They don't need to have a self-revelation that you're from the Bronx. They talk to you, and I, I can't do a Bronx accent or else I'll destroy it, but, but they'll be like, you can't deny. If they were like, no, no, I'm from the South, you're like, uh-huh, okay, whatever. See, this is Peter. Peter was a Galilean, so his, he had a certain accent that everyone knew that he could not be from Jerusalem. He could not be from that city. He had to be from the other city. And, and so the, his accent was calling him out, was selling him out. I can do a better Southern accent. Maybe it was like this, you know? He's like, no, I'm not from Georgia. I'm from New York. We'd be like, all right, buddy. This is what Peter uh, was found, he was being found out because of his actual accent. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now, this isn't the kind of swearing that he was on the Bible swearing. This is the kind of swearing like you would get, your, you would get a spanking for as a child. You'd get your mouth washed out with soap. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the crows 
the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now this kind of crying is not like tears streaming down in a stoic face. This is like ugly face crying with tears shooting out your eyeballs. Do you, how many know what I'm talking about where it's like, Fluid is everywhere, and it is a weeping, a bitter crying. Now, why? You say, well, you know, he did this, but uh, you have to understand the proximity. Peter was probably very close to Jesus in proximity. If you look at Jerusalem, uh, back in those days, the courtyards that they had built, they're very close. They're not like these massive rooms. It would just be just a few yards away that Jesus is actually being beaten at the time of his own denying of Jesus. And how do we know this? Well, in Luke 61, 62, Luke adds this, this section. He says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying, Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. In Mark 15, 17, we knew that Jesus was clothed. It says that they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns and put it on him, and they began to salute him, hail the king of the Jews, mocking him. And they were striking his head while he has a crown on it with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him, again, mocking him. So when Peter was denying him, Jesus was going through this bloody torture, and Peter, and he looked at Peter with probably black eyes, a bloody nose, bruised lips with a crown of thorns with blood running down his head after Peter denied him. I don't know about you, but that would rock me. And so Peter ends up doing exactly what Jesus said he was gonna do, exactly what Peter said he wasn't going to do. You know, some of you might say, well, I've never denied Jesus with my words, but have you ever denied him with your works? I have. I mean, this is something that even, um, we have trouble disciplining our own lives through our own nature in, in even how, in things we eat. I mean, I, you know, I always tell my wife, I'm, I'm eating good today, I promise you, I'm gonna eat good today, and then, you know, a couple of meals later, she said, I thought you were gonna eat good today. I said, tomorrow, it's the tomorrow diet. Tomorrow I'll eat better. Now, what's amazing is that when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, this is why we celebrate uh, Easter. That's why we call it Resurrection Sunday is because he resurrected from the dead on the third day. And instead of Jesus just floating up into uh, heaven or you know, um, going away, he decides to visit all those who were scattered, every one of them. And he decides to show them that he is the Messiah, that everything that had happened had come true and, 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 and that he is physically there. He wasn't just some ghost, he isn't just, you know, but his physical body was raised. Now, many people don't realize this, that Jesus was not raised from the dead for only three days before ascending to heaven or four days or 10 days, but for 40 days, Jesus ends up revealing himself to hundreds and hundreds of people so that there would be many, many witness accounts of Jesus' resurrected body so that people couldn't try to deny it or fake it or whatever. And um, 
And so, then, so Jesus does this and he rallies the troops. He goes to those who said he were going to be loyal and then turned on him and betrayed him. He goes to them and says, you're still mine and I want you to know that I still love you. So Jesus is not done pursuing us. Simon Peter in John 21, 3, 6, I love John's account. You know, Simon Peter, after the crucifixion of Jesus, while they're waiting on him, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And now essentially Peter, when before he was following Jesus, he was fishing on a boat. And Jesus told them, throw the net to the other side and they end up hauling in this huge amount of fish. And then Jesus said, follow me. And then Peter had been following Jesus for three years. Now Jesus has been crucified. Peter has denied him three times. Peter's basically saying, I'm gonna go back and doing what I used to do because I I, everything else is now lost for me. I'm not, I'm not sure about things anymore. I've, you know, when we go through trauma, when we go through suffering, when we go through disappointment, oftentimes when our paradigms are rocked like this, we have this sense of lostness. Sometimes we question, where is God? Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And they went out and, and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Wow. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. And so John points out, that's Jesus. And of course, Peter would have realized, well, I remember this miracle so he's so excited, he puts his cloak on, he jumps into the water, and he doesn't even wait for the boat. He tries to get to Jesus first. He tries to get to the shore first. And Jesus has this scene here. Now, Jesus, what's, I love it, is Jesus has fish already on the fire, which just shows he always provides. There's always provision. That fish was not so that they could eat. That fish was to, prove, was to affirm the deity of Christ and affirm who it was who was speaking to them. And so they come and they have breakfast and, you know, around the fire is where Peter had denied Jesus and Jesus is bringing Peter into a healing moment by bringing him around the fire again, this time with him. Said that after they'd eaten uh, breakfast, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. He asked him this three times and he said, Jesus, you know I love you. And I think that Jesus knew that. He was just making sure that Peter knew it. You see, when you look at Peter's spiritual formation through this process, you see that his idea of following God was coming out of his own zeal. How determined can I be to follow God? How loyal can I be to follow God? Because if I could just be so determined and so loyal, it'll definitely happen. And, um, and he realizes now that that's not actually the case. You know, uh, John actually gives us insight here because throughout the book of John, there's little writings, little inserts that really reveal what makes someone's heart truly loyal to Jesus. The whole body loyal to Jesus. See, John is famous for writing the book of John and saying, the one whom Jesus loved. Throughout the whole book. John 11.5, John 22, John 21.7, John 21.20. He would always say, 
to the one whom Jesus loved. You know, it's like he got to write the book, so he got to say whatever he wanted. Like, I'm God's favorite. And it's true. But you're also God's favorite. And that's true. That's what John was saying. He's like, I'm God's favorite. Jesus loved me. I'm the one whom Jesus loved. You know, my father, before he passed away, since I was a little boy, he would always say, you know, Paul, you're my best boy. I was the youngest of four uh, three, I had three, uh, two brothers and an older sister. And, and that always used to make me feel so special. And that always, you know, made me feel so connected to my father. And, uh, you know, after his funeral, uh, I found out that he, he told a lot of the boys he was his best, they were his best boy. <laughs> See, some of us were following to prove our worth when the worth of you isn't determined by you, it's determined by him. See, Peter believed the lie that he had to prove his worth to Jesus when John believed the truth that Jesus actually loved him. And when all chaos ensued, who was the one disciple at the cross with Mary? John. Why? Because the revelation of understanding that Jesus loves you keeps you loyal even through suffering. See, some of us, we love the Lord. We have this passion for the Lord. We understand everything that God's done for us. But we don't truly understand how much Jesus actually loves us. Some of us think, man, I, because it's hard for you to imagine it. Maybe you think, man, I can't believe that Jesus would love me. I'm such a sinner, or I'm not perfect, or I do quirky and weird things. I'm awkward. Well, first of all, I'll tell you this much. I don't know anyone who's normal. I've been a pastor long enough. I've been in this world long enough that I'm not normal. You're not normal. You are all awkward and quirky in your own little ways. Some of you can just fake it longer than others. That's what I found out. There's no normal. And just in the same way that we love our children, even though they're all different. I mean, my children grew up with the same two parents in the same household and in the same environment with the same DNA genetics. And one came out an introvert, one came out an extrovert. One's a little crazy, I'm pretty sure about, about it. I, it's like, I didn't teach him that. It's just, it's just how... But I love them, all of them, even if they're awkward and quirky. And, and Jesus loves you, even with your quirkiness and your awkwardness. You just need to believe it. I remember I was in a ministry school for the first, uh, it was the first month of ministry school. And I was a good student. I sat in the front row and I just wanted all of Jesus. I wanted to, I thought, you know, that I was God's gift to the school. You know, I was going to be the leading example in the school and, and, um, and I'm, I'm sitting up in the front, and there's this man who's walking through things. He says, you know, a lot of times in our faith, there's hiccups because there's a lie that we've been believing that isn't true. And sometimes we don't even realize this lie. And he, he said to me, he said to the whole class, he said, what we're going to do is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit. We're going to close our eyes so that we don't get distracted. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit, what is the lie that we're believing? And so I'm like, huh, well, I'm pretty much okay. Like God had brought me through all, that, all those hard times, all that sanctification process. I was like, I don't need to do this. This is weird. But I said, I'm a good student, so I'll just uh, play along. I'll close my eyes. 
crossed my arms and just, I actually wasn't even closing my eyes for the students behind me because they couldn't see me. I was closing eyes so the teacher wouldn't think that I wasn't participating. So I closed my eyes and I'm just, you know, letting him do his thing and he prays and he says, okay, Holy Spirit, show them the lie that they've been believing. And immediately I get like time warped to a memory of my father and I. My father was an avid smoker, smoked since he was 12 years old. And as children growing up in the 80s and 90s, we would try to stop him from smoking because we found out that it's bad for you. And so we would do things like hide his cigarettes, break his cigarettes. And um, I remember my father getting so angry at us kids for doing this that he like put his foot down. It's like, you don't break my cigarettes, you know? And I was like, okay, my dad's really serious. I knew my dad was serious about that. And then one day, my dad ushered, he was an usher at church. Him and Mickey Santangelo used to smoke outside the church while the service was going on. But my dad ushered. One day after service, uh, my mom and I had brought all the kids back to, to the house and my dad was coming separate in a car because he was serving the church that day. And, and my dad come, walks through the door and he says, guys, I wanna let you know that I'm giving up cigarettes forever. And we were like ecstatic. We're like, this is amazing. An answer to prayer, all the pressure from the family, all the prayers, you're gonna give up smoking. I was about 12, 13 years old at the time. And we said, Dad, what, what, what happened at church? What made you do this? And, and he said, well, you know, I was outside smoking with Mickey. I grew up in a church where everyone was Italian, all right? My father's name was Gaetano Martini. So anyway, he said, I was smoking. And he said, you know little Jimmy? I said, yeah, I know Jimmy. It's a boy just a few years younger than me. He goes... You know, he came up to his mom. He said, don't you know that they, they would call my dad Gate because it's like an American translation. He said, you know, Mr. Gate's going to die if he keeps smoking those cigarettes. So Mrs. Tomlinson brought him up, to, brought Jimmy up to my dad, and my dad heard that, and it just struck him so hard. He just said, wow, what am I doing? And so he testified that he gave up cigarettes because Jimmy Tomlinson told him he was going to die. Now to a 12-year-old boy, you know what that said to me? My dad really doesn't care about what I think. Actually, my dad just, uh, he cares for me, he provides for me, but he doesn't care what I think. You know, it's amazing what you project onto God with what your father did to you, your earthly father. And so all my life, I actually... Uh, was thinking that Jesus really didn't care about me. I like, like personally care about me, but I knew he loved me as corporate humanity. He loves corporate humanity, and I knew he was the savior of the world. And, but there was this, still this lie I didn't know I was believing. And so Jesus, in this moment, remember, I'm back in ministry school. I see Jesus come behind my father and hug me, and there was this healing moment. See, my father didn't mean to hurt me. But there was a lie I was believing that no matter how much I loved God, it didn't matter because the fullness of his love wasn't really for me. And Jesus broke that lie just like that. 
You see, Peter tried to prove himself to Jesus constantly, thinking that if he could prove himself, that would prove his love for him, and he would always stay loyal to him. But really, the only thing that would keep him loyal is understanding how much Jesus actually loved him. Just like John knew that Jesus loved him. And what did this mean for Peter? What did this, this, this changed every paradigm because instead of thinking that Jesus loved him, he finally knew that Jesus loved him. And there's a difference in your behavior when you think that Jesus loves you and you know that Jesus loves you. Your whole life changes because you're convinced of it, back to Timothy. Convinced that he loves you. When you're convinced of it, you'll die for him. Actually, not only did Peter not deny Jesus again, when he was finally persecuted for his faith years later, they are gonna crucify Peter just like they crucified Jesus. But Peter said, don't even crucify me. Though I can't die the same way my Lord died. Crucify me upside down. You know, a love like that, you'll go to the cross for. That's the love. That's why John, see, John had this revelation. That's why he wrote in 1 John, he said, we love him because he first loved us. Don't try to love God with your love. It's too earthly, it's too carnal, it's too conditional. Experience his love first. Receive his love first. Be convinced that he loves you. And your only response will be to love him back, which is actually with the love he loved you with first. This is the real message of the gospel. Why don't you stand? Sometimes I just wonder, how convinced we are of the love of Christ for us. We understand the story. We have pledged our faith to him. But this actually that God personally loves you, not like your father loved you, way more than that. Not like your earthly father loved you, way more than that. Your heavenly father loves you unconditionally and you can give your life to him. And maybe you've done that before, but maybe you need to give it to him again. Maybe you need to receive his love. So why don't you close your eyes? I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to just move through this room this Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. If you feel comfortable, raise your hands, whatever you need to do. Jesus, I thank you for your resurrection life that we get to partake in, that we get to receive you. Lord, I see myself in Peter all the time. I fail and fail time and time again. I've tried to prove myself to you over and over again, always falling short. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us your love, that we would not project our earthly father's love on you, but God, you would reveal to us the lie that we've been believing and that you would break it so that we can receive your love and be faithful. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be in our homes and in our families as we fellowship today, as we think upon and thank you for your sacrifice. 
and for your resurrection life. May you just move throughout our homes. May your peace rest on our homes. May your peace fill our hearts as we think on these things because now we have peace with you. Lord, we receive you. We receive your love. We receive you as our Lord and Savior. And you have a heart. I want to invite our pastors and some of our ministry team up for prayer to receive, to, to pray. If the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart, if there's this manifestation of his love that is being revealed to you that you've never experienced before. We wanna pray with you. If you need healing in your body, if you're going through a tough time, we wanna pray with you. We're a family, that's what families do. This isn't a spectator sport at our church. We actually get involved with one another. And so we're gonna invite you in just a minute. Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would break the bondage of fear, that you'd break the bondage of hurt, that you'd break the bondage of disease, that you'd break the bondage of fear, and that your love would invade us, Lord. God, we're gonna open ourselves up to you and be vulnerable to you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. We wanna just thank you for coming and being with us this morning. Have an awesome Resurrection Sunday. Make sure before you leave that you actually fellowship with one another, talk to one another, be a community, and then um, have a great uh, afternoon. We'll see you next week, 6 a.m., uh, 6 p.m. on Saturday, 10, 10 a.m. on Sunday. You can come at 6 a.m., I'm not gonna be here. Paul Luce might, actually, but... Bless you guys. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Let's give Jesus another round of applause. Come on. Amen. Have a great week.